The local government news roundup is proudly supported by Davidson. For 30 years, Davidson has been strengthening the local government sector by identifying and providing the people, expertise and experience that local government needs to enhance its capability, productivity and performance. Davidson is nationally recognised for its executive recruitment services and over the past four years has built a business advisory practice rapidly evolving into one of the nation's foremost and trusted local government business consultancy firms. The Davidson methodology and approach is simple. Thinking beyond now and aiming to be a valued partner with your local government, not just for the immediate project, but for the next 30 years. Speak to Justin Hanney or Seamus Scanlon to find out more or head to davidsonwp.com.au. Davidson, your future, your partner. Hello and welcome to another edition of Roundup Unfiltered from the Local Government News Roundup, brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association and by Davidson Recruitment and Business Advisory Services. Former Local Government CEO and public servant John Watson recently stepped down as Chair of the Victorian Local Government Grants Commission after 11 years. He's led at least three councils, held senior roles in state government and still serves on several boards and audit committees. I took the opportunity to sit down with John to reflect on a career in local government that has seen many changes and reforms and to find out what's next for one of the elder statesmen of the sector in Victoria. Delighted to have as my special guest on the podcast today, John Watson, who just very recently took off one of his hats, the uh, chair hat with the Victorian Local Government Grants Commission, but he's had a long and storied career in local government in Victoria and beyond, and I thought it might be an opportunity to catch up and have a chat about that career. John, welcome to the Roundup. Chris, it's a pleasure to be here. And lovely to see you. Uh, of course, I should say up front, we have worked together in various capacities, including uh, some joint audit committee responsibilities. Um, a question that people ask me along the way is just how many audit committees is John Watson on? Can you, <laughs> can you answer that question definitively for us right now? I think the current count's about uh, 12 or 13, if you include uh, Flinders Island, the audit panel out of Tasmania. Oh, let's talk about that in just a moment. But uh, it must be a bit of a challenge to keep track of all those 12 or 13 different committees. How do you do that? I, I think I've developed a, a reasonable system for, for keeping track. And um, the remarkable thing is that uh, I've been very lucky. There's very few uh, clashes yeah. um, and a lot of time in between. So, uh, no, it works reasonably well. Lots of reading, John. Yeah, yeah but I, I enjoy it. Yeah, well, it's it's I, I well I know from experience it is a good way to stay connected with current issues and trends in the sector more broadly, isn't it? It is, it is, um, and I um, I keep telling councils and anybody else that will listen that uh, the audit and risk committee is the most important committee that uh, a council has. Yep. Yeah. Uh, why do you say that? Well, it's um, I mean. It's it's required by statute, um, uh, and actually had a hand in that originally by recommending that as a, an amendment to the old local government act. But um, 
it's it's a continuous improvement process. Uh, it's uh, within closed walls. Uh, you can provide constructive criticism, develop a relationship with the, with the staff and, and counsellors. But I think the most important thing, which is often overlooked, it's a really important uh, protection for the counsellors and management. Mm. Uh, much better to uh, identify a problem and perhaps deal with it that way than perhaps read it in the local paper. Yes, very good point. John, I do want to take a bit of a trip down memory lane with you, if you don't mind. Uh, You've been around, if you don't mind my saying, local government in Victoria for a very long time. What's your earliest memory of your connection with the sector? I I originally joined the former Shire of Warrail, based out of Lee and Gather in Gippsland, um, as a junior administrative officer. That was my start in local government. And what were you doing in that role? A bit of everything. <laughs> I, I did filing, um, um, kept the uh, kept the ledgers all handwritten, um, <laughs> tried to balance them. Um, interestingly, the uh, the one thing that I really do remember is the the ladies, if I can say, in the typing pool. They hand typed all of the rate notices from uh, right. cards uh, and. We had to balance them, of course, reconcile them, and we had paper tape adding machines, and wow. uh, that's how we we added them all up. Yeah, great yeah. streams of uh, adding machine uh, uh, tape, and um, the trick was, and and uh, my my first boss there, the uh, Keith Bryden, the Shire Secretary, he said that if it's, um, I think uh, it's a while since I thought about that, but out by a factor of I think it was nine then it was 99% a compensating error. You've tied something, you know, two numbers back to front. And, and wow. it was right. Yeah, yeah. So, yes, I, I guess the, the accuracy level is pretty surprising considering when we think now the tools that we have, what they managed to do back then without that technology. Yep. Yeah. I, I was pretty good on the uh, on the hand. <laughs> that <laughs> loading machine, yes. Tell me, did they, was there a tea lady back in those days in that building? Uh, no, no, no. We didn't have a tea lady. Uh, I think that had already uh, already passed. Yes. Uh, not in some places. I mean, the very first council I was at, the, the tea lady had only just gone by <laughs> the wayside. Well, things, yeah, things things have changed a lot. So at the time, was was that part of a definitive or deliberate career move to be in local government, or was it, was it a position of opportunity? Well, uh, I. Uh, I actually had a, an intent to become a health inspector. All right. Uh, family friend, and you know, I thought that would be a good career. Um, and no offence to health inspectors or uh, what they're, they're called now, but I think I made a better choice when I took up a, an advertised position as a junior admin officer uh, because I think it's led me to a much more interesting career for myself. So where did that, in the, in the early stages, where did that lead you to next? Um. I, uh, I studied as a municipal clerk by correspondence uh, through the RMIT. Um, I finished that uh, ducks of the course that year, actually, with um, mm-hmm. the full-time students. Um, and then, uh, I guess, as you do, you, you look around for perhaps another opportunity. And uh, I, I got the job as the Deputy Shire Secretary Shire of Buller, uh, based out of Sunbury. 
um, and I stayed there for a considerable period, but uh, a period of growth for my career, um, ending up uh, as uh, Shire Secretary and then the first CEO of the Buller Shire. Uh, and not long after that, of course, uh, local government amalgamations came about. I was fortunate uh, to get a place as a um, um, an interim CEO, and that was at Mooney Valley, uh, and then secured the first full-time uh, CEO role at the Hume City Council, which very interestingly included most of my old Shire of Buller yeah. uh, and, and all of my Shire of Buller staff, uh, which was an interesting um, challenge in terms of setting up a structure for Hume. They must have been particularly challenging, but I, I also imagine exciting times, that amalgamation period, given the changes that had to be overseen. They were. Um, they were. Um, I, I've often said they were character-building times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yes, the, I, I inherited all of the former Broadmeadows staff and all the Buller staff, um, and, of course, it was coinciding with um, uh, compulsory competitive tendering and uh, mandated rate reductions. Uh, and, of course, the only way you could achieve the latter was through staff reduction, um, and uh, roughly the numbers, I think, that we reduced uh, were from something like 1,600 down to around about 700-odd. So it was a massive, a massive uh, change and impact on a lot of people. Even to this day, you, you can go to some councils and there will be pockets of that community that still talk about those amalgamations oh, yes. and, and what they've lost, I guess, from having those smaller council identities do you think do you think it's time that all gets put behind us look i, I think it is i think uh, there was a lost opportunity perhaps a, a year 18 months two years after amalgamation to perhaps go back and tidy things up a little bit in terms of some boundaries um but uh, that comment about community sort of hanging on um it actually followed me in an interesting way um i um uh, being the uh, the first CEO there and the former CEO of the Bullershire, Sunbury, um, there was a long-running campaign uh, for Sunbury to be separated out of Hume and uh, as a separate municipality. Um, and, uh, in fact, the government at one stage put the, uh, the orders in place for that to happen. The date was set, it was mm. going to happen. Uh, the government changed, and at that stage I was the uh, Chief um, Administrator uh, at Rimbank Council, um, and uh, the Minister asked myself uh, um, to, uh, with one other, uh, to uh, undertake a an audit of that process. Uh, and the result of that was that it was clearly flawed uh, financially, uh, and um, the recommendation to the change its government was to reverse the orders, which they did. So uh, it was an interesting interesting time because having the history um, and then being asked to do that and at the same time still living in Sunbury. Yes, <laughs> yes. It's, as, it's followed you, as you say. While we're recording yeah. this, there's talk in New South Wales about um, some councils wanting to undo forced amalgamations that happened a few years ago, and they've put cost estimates on those demergers of $150 million plus for each of those 
councils. I imagine, given your Sunbury experience, that those numbers probably don't surprise you much. I think that's a very large number, um, but the way in which the, uh, the the proposal was constructed, um, it relied on uh, effectively taking money from Melbourne Airport, which is in Hume, um, and would not have been in the new Sunbury municipality and, and giving it to Sunbury for a number of years. Um, and that broke a whole lot of rules and, and, and principles. And without that, um, it simply wasn't viable. Yeah. We've skipped a significant chunk in your uh, resume there, John, between <laughs> being a CEO at uh, Hume and being Chief Administrator at Brimbank. For at least uh, a fair chunk of that time, you were the Executive Director of Local Government Victoria. How did you get into the state government roles? Well, it was interesting. Um, I uh, I wasn't at Hume for a great length of time. I had a bit of a health issue and, and actually dropped out of the sector. Um, and Prue Digby, who we all know, um, mm. became the uh, new Executive Director of Local Government Victoria. Uh, and uh, she invited me in for six months while she sort of worked out her own little structure in there. Um, and I went in there and I was the uh, Director of Governance and Legislation, which was quite interesting. Um, but um, time marched by and I did that for about six years. Prue right. um, moved up to a DEPSEC role and um, I took over as the uh, Executive Director of Local Government and did that for another six years, roughly, um, which brought me to... 2012, um, when I retired. Right. <laughs> in, uh, in inverted commas. My wife tells me I've retired a number of times, yes. uh, but not really. But um, at that point, uh, the then minister asked me to do two things. Uh, one was to uh, take over the chair of the uh, Local Government uh, Grants Commission, uh, the Victoria Grants Commission, it was called in those days, and uh, to go to Brimbank as the new uh, chair of the panel of administrators. Uh, Brimbank had been in administration for three years, and I did it for a further four years. Mm-hmm. So that's how did, I got to Brimbank. That's, and there's a song in that, that's how I got to Brimbank. Uh, <laughs> just going back to the LGV phase, where does that sit in your list of Positions that are giving you the most or least satisfaction. What how, well, do you look back on that period fondly? Before I go there, I'd say I, I've been very fortunate. I've enjoyed uh, immensely everything I've done in my career, and I and the things I'm still doing. Um, where that sits, uh, it's it's pretty high. Um, look, um, when you're a local government CEO. Uh, it's a, and Chris, you'd know this, you've been a local government CEO, uh, and I think you were a CEO when I was at Brimbank and we had interactions. Correct. Um, That's but, correct. Um, yeah. You have the ability to implement decisions uh, quickly, um, a lot of delegation. So, you know, it's, 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 it's a very uh, hands-on, effective role where you actually see things happening and make things happen. In government, it's very different. Um, yes. uh, you uh, provide uh, briefings and advice uh, uh, to your minister um, and sometimes that advice is taken, sometimes it's not. Uh, it's a much slower process, but I enjoyed it because it was different uh, and I had an opportunity to actually influence uh, through uh, the minister of the day 
um, the, the, the local government act, you know, the very thing that um, ruled our world, uh, the Bible's local government. Mm -hmm. uh, so it was really, it was an enjoyable period. I got a lot out of it. Just going back to your comments about being a local government CEO, it, it sort of reminds me that there's periodically, and it, it's certainly been recently, um, commentary from some uh, quarters that local government CEOs have too much authority to implement and to make decisions. You've just talked about one of the advantages being able to move quickly. Do you think? Do you think it's it's a fair criticism, or is it born of a misunderstanding? of how that council-CEO relationship works? I think it's the latter, uh, more of a misunderstanding. Um, the CEO, uh, I mean, quite quite clearly, uh, the, the legislation says the CEO is responsible for the organisation um, and uh, essentially for delivering on the council's policies and decisions. Um, the extent to which a council provides delegations to a CEO is its decision. Um, and any limitations that they might put on those delegations. So I, I, th I think that um, the council being responsible for the management, the employment and performance manager, the one employee, the chief executive, actually is the great opportunity for them to, uh, together with their CEO, develop uh, the relationship and the, the differences between what one does and the other in a, in a way that each understands uh, and it should not get to the situation where anybody says the CEO's got too much power. Mm. The power is derived through legislation, but largely it comes from what the council gives the CEO. How do you react to what inevitably will happen this year as we go to council elections? We're going to hear potential candidates saying uh, that they're campaigning on a campaign of getting rid of the CEO because they've got too much power and um, the council can't control them. How do you, how how do councils respond and deal with that? I think it's uh, it will happen. It's happened in the past, uh, and it's a great disappointment um, because uh, people canvassing on that basis, I think, are showing they don't understand how the the system works. Um, the CEO is like the bureaucracy uh, within state or federal government. Um, it serves the government of the day, and that's what a CEO, a good CEO does, is serve the council of the day. Hmm. Um, and if people understood that fully, I think the, there should be less of that um, attempt to, I'll get on council, I'll, I'll deal with this, I'll get rid of the CEO. Um, it's not the CEO that should be their problem. So uh, I've heard a lot of CEOs say over recent years that the job is getting harder, it's getting more complex. You've been there, you sit across audit committees, you can see the complexity of the issues that come across the table. Do you think the job is getting to a point where it is more than one person and one organisation should have to deal with? Look, it's certainly, like everything I think in life, uh, is become more complex. Um, uh, there is always, you know, added uh, responsibilities, legislation, um, you know, shifting of responsibilities to councils, not always with the money to go with it, of course. Yeah, yeah. Um, so it, it is very difficult. The organisations are becoming more complex and, and larger uh, to deliver the, uh, the number of services 
Um, so yes, it's 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 clearly a bigger job, um, but CEOs, I think it's fair to say, are you know reasonably well remunerated uh, for the responsibility they take on. I I think it's really a matter of building, hopefully, the, that that level of relationship and trust between them and their council, um, and and getting on with the task. Um, I don't think anybody should be making too many excuses. Uh, they should go into these positions eyes wide open. Before we move off this onto a couple of other topics, uh, the data would suggest that the turnover at the CEO level is much higher than perhaps other periods during other periods of history. Mm-hmm. Are you concerned about where the next generation of CEOs are coming from and how well prepared they are for the modern challenges? I think we should all be uh, a little concerned about that because you're right, the, the turnover rate is probably too high. Um, and some of that, uh, unfortunately, goes back to that relationship issue between councillors and, uh, and their CEOs. And I think lack of full understanding of how that should work. Um, perhaps that's the area where it might be uh, addressed in some way is to better educate, better train councillors um, in that in their role as the employer and what it means. Mm. Um, the CEO um, uh, remuneration and other matter type committees are now in place in a lot of councils, most councils I think. I think they have a, a real role to play um, to help councils to understand what their role is, that they are an employer uh, and that they have very clear responsibilities uh, and legal responsibilities um, as to how they relate and manage their employee, the CEO. More education in that space. Yeah. And are there enough protections in place to stop the CEO position becoming politicised or caught up in the politics that can play out at a council level? Well, certainly over time there have been CEOs who have uh, I guess, fallen into the trap um, of aligning uh, too closely with a particular group of their council. And uh, that's often when numbers within the council might change or uh, the, the grouping between the council uh, without any election uh, can change too and then the relationships can sour. Hmm. So um, uh, I think the, um, the discipline for any CEO should be to... Um, serve the council, not to fall into the trap of serving a particular group uh, of the council. Um, When you provide information, you provide it to every councillor equally. Um, They are your employer uh, and you should respect that and every one of them that makes up the council. Let's move on to some other things. You've just stepped down from the chair role of the Grants Commission, as we mentioned, after 11 years. How significant a role has that been for you and how do you look back at the contribution, I guess, you've made through the Grants Commission to the sector more broadly? It's one I, I'm, I'm really I'm immensely proud of um, and, and it's a role which I thoroughly enjoyed. Um, uh, certainly, uh, you know, a real responsibility with my fellow uh, Grants Commission members uh, to make sure that the recommendations for the allocation of the annual grants coming from, from Canberra are fair uh, across our 79 councils, having regard to the, the principles which commissions around Australia have to have regard to. 
Um, we have developed uh, and improved the, the methodology, uh, the grants formula uh, that we've inherited from prior uh, commissions in Victoria. Um, I'm proud to say that I think it is the uh, the best model of all the, the jurisdictions around Australia, uh, but others might say the same thing. Uh, <laughs> Why do you say that, but, though, John? What 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 uh, makes the this model better? Look, um, without uh, perhaps uh, going into commenting too much about others, I, yeah. it it's um, the integrity uh, of our methodology is so strong. Um, there is absolutely no. Um, uh, part of it where uh, a council gets more than what the, the methodology produces. Um, we collect a lot of data, or we, I used to, uh, mm. the yeah. Commission collects a lot of data uh, from councils and a lot of other places, um, and um, it's a, a quite complex uh, uh, formula that results from that. But it's all about assessing the relative need of each council versus the other 78. Um, and the thing that we've done uh, over my time has been to, wherever possible, recognising that the our smaller rural councils do have the greatest need, quite clearly, is to move money whenever we can in that direction mm. um, and to make no excuse for that. Um, we have a council out on the South Australian border in Victoria that um, over 30% of their revenue comes from this source. Without mm. it, they wouldn't exist. And mm. there are many others not far behind them. Mm. So it's 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 vital. Um, perhaps I could say about my greatest disappointment um, as uh, chair of the commission is the uh, the erosion uh, of the pool of funds available right. from the federal government. Mm. Um, these uh, grants were commenced in the days of the Whitlam government, Gough Whitlam. And so it's been around for quite a while now. When they're introduced, uh, and I know a whole lot of things have changed in the meantime, but uh, in terms of the assessed relative need of each council, the commissions were able to uh, allocate about 40% of that need. Today it's around 16 17%. Wow. So there's been quite a, a clawback in various ways um, at the federal level, um, and that's, that's a shame because local government is so vital within our communities. How much of that was due to that pause in indexation that was in place for a little while? It was, was one that of them. The, um, yeah. uh, they, they broke the nexus between taxation take, take and, and the, the way the, uh, the money was given to local government. There's been a number of things along the way, but certainly mm. the pause for three years, um, that hurt uh, because that money's lost forever. You, uh, you just don't go back to where it would have been. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Did you get lobbied much? I know you've talked about that tightness of the methodology and the integrity, but did you get lobbied by councillors, councils, about how you were making those decisions? Um, the the commission, and over my period, uh, we had uh, over 200 meetings with councils, uh, many of them out there visiting the councils all around Victoria. Uh, we tried to visit each council in about a four-year cycle. Um, and um, it gave us an opportunity to explain how we did our work, which I think was always well received, uh, even though there was disappointment that the amount that they 
individually got wasn't greater, uh, but it was also an opportunity and uh, for us to have a conversation. And um, it was uh, surprising that occasionally we'd get back in the car and something that was said in the meeting, we'd say, we need to do a bit of work on that. Um, hmm. Didn't always lead to a change or a tweaking of the uh, the formula, but sometimes it did. Yeah, mm. So they were useful, um, and I don't think I can really recall where we were uh, subjected to, you know, excessive criticism other than disappointment that the money wasn't greater. Yeah, yeah, fair enough. You mentioned earlier uh, amongst your audit committee responsibilities is Flinders Island. Is that your yeah. first foray into the sector <laughs> outside of Victoria? It is, it is. Um, they were having difficulty um, getting a, a chair um, so um, through one of my other roles as a um, uh, director on the board of the Northern Hospital, it was suggested I might take a look at it, uh, and uh, so I did and uh, took up the role. And it's 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 different. Um, you know, it's a small island municipality. Interestingly, they don't have to have internal audit, um, and they, they haven't got any. Although I'm encouraged them to go down that path for their mm. own protections. Um, and um, three members, three independent members, and no councillors on, right. on the panel. Right. So it's quite different. Um, so it's a bit of a um, uh, bit of a change. Yes. And and on a completely different scale, I would think to some of the larger councils that you are involved oh, very in much at so. the audit level. Yeah. yeah. But yeah. Um, I hope. They're appreciating the fact that I've been able to uh, give them you know, a number of examples of um, policies and things uh, you know, that uh, are helping them because they don't—they simply don't have the resources to do yeah. a lot for it themselves. Uh, does this entail going to Flinders Island for meetings at some um, point? Well, so far I haven't, um, and um, uh, there was one of the uh, agreements when I took it on that I, I do it online. But I'm keen to get down there, and they're keen to take you know to get me down there. So we'll yeah. hopefully arrange that this year. Well, maybe now that you've stepped aside from the Grants Commission, there might be a, a an opening in your your calendar, John. That's that's right. That's right. <laughs> so you said you've retired a few times, uh, using the word in inverted commas. Is retirement for real? Something that you have or will contemplate? Uh, look, I think. Um, uh, well, in terms of the Northern Hospital, you know, I was due to finish um, during this year, but um, uh, Northern recently underwent an amalgamation with the, which, you know, Northern is a, a massive institution, eight or 9,000 employees and, you know, half a dozen campuses, but um, uh, recently amalgamated with the Kilmore Hospital, which um, was a seamless amalgamation, <clears throat> one of which we were proud and I think the government was very pleased with. Um but the result of that was that um, we all had to be reappointed. Um, so I got reappointed <laughs> to June plus two years. <laughs> so I'll be there a little while, um, but you know, an end will come to that. And uh, some of the order committees that I've uh, been working on, still working on, uh, my term or terms uh, you know, are reaching a point where I start to, to drop away. Whether I take on any more is another question. I'll, I'll see you at the time. Yeah. You must it keeps the brain still active. enjoy it, though. To be doing that, oh yes, yes. Look, I, yeah. um, I think I'd uh, mentally, I, I'd, I'd probably suffer if I wasn't able to keep active in that way. And, and yeah. I, I think I, I'm contributing. Yeah, 
Uh, you certainly are, and you've you've recently also contributed as a municipal monitor. The 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 Watson report from uh, Darabin, I think, is being held up as a bit of a model because there is, if I can say, quite a bit of variation in the way monitors report back, and I, I know the issues can be different as well. Is that a role that you take on, thinking you're going to enjoy it, or is it? Uh, it, it, do you have a different sort of frame of mind about being a monitor? Well, um, uh, it's it's one where you know no prior experience, and not there's not a lot of um, uh, textbook information. In fact, yeah. there's none as to how you approach the job. And I think there's an opportunity there for something to be written about how to approach the task, even though each situation will be different. I um, again, like all things I've done, I actually enjoyed it. And I saw it as an opportunity to to help that council through some difficulties. Um, and when I left after nine months, um, I think that it was a changed place. The report uh, you mentioned, um, as a monitor, you do have to provide a report to the minister at the end of the period. Um, and I, I saw the other reports and, and understand their different circumstances. But over nine months, um, it cost the council a reasonable amount of money to have a monitor there, and I, I took the decision that that deserved a reasonably thorough report, and mm. that, that's why I produced it the way I did. Mm. And that's certainly what you uh, delivered at the end of that nine months, John. Is there anything left on your list career-wise that you'd like to do and haven't well, yet? In a way, and, and you know, I'm not sort of um, trying to boast, but... Um, I think I've had a fairly unique um, set of roles uh, in the sector. Um, you know, I've been a, a CEO in three places, um, the Executive Director of Local Government, Victoria, uh, the Chair of a Panel of Administrators, which effectively meant I was the Mayor of Brimbank for four years, um, and uh, a Municipal Monitor, and doing work on the, the through the Audit Committee. So pretty fair coverage of what, what happens around local government. So unless there's a new sort of role um, uh, produced, I think I've pretty much covered the, uh, the basis. So would you, um, would you accept the title of, and I'm just going to bestow it from the roundup with no particular fanfare, as the <laughs> doyen of Victorian local government? Oh, I, I'm not sure I'd go that far. Uh, no, there's a lot of very... <laughs> Very good people out there um, uh, that um, have been in the system and they are in the system that uh, are doing amazing things and have done a number of roles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Humble, humble to the end. Uh, <laughs> thank you, John. That's been really interesting to hear about your uh, your career journey and those insights. And uh, I really appreciate you sitting down with me to chat today. I've really enjoyed it, Chris. So thank you very much. My guest today on Roundup Unfiltered has been John Watson. Good to know that we'll be seeing him around the sector for some time to come, all being well. I hope you've enjoyed this special edition of the podcast brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association with support from Davidson Recruitment and Business Advisory Services. Regular editions will return soon when we get underway with Season 4 of The Roundup. But check your podcast queue for more special editions of the program in the meantime. Thanks for listening and bye for now. The 
Local Government News Roundup is brought to you by the Victorian Local Governance Association. As Victorian councils go to elections later this year, the VLGA is ready to support communities and councils in good governance. A series of workshops has been designed to increase understanding of the local government sector, the work of councils and the role of a councillor. Registrations are being taken now for workshops in May on standing for local government and local women leading change. And member councils should look out for the VLGA's 2024 local government election pre-candidate prospectus, available soon. Find out more about how the VLGA can support your council and community during this important time in the local government election cycle. Visit vlga.org.au.